Darling, we've had one hell of a time But the question on everybody's mind Where is the Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of. I was doing the movie thing that like the <laughs> they got to sync it up. It's already yeah, yeah, synced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sure. Uh, welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed. It's a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, me, Whoa. Ethan S. Parker, and Griffin Sheridan. Uh, hey. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing on this fine podcasting day? Uh, I'm good. This is the earliest we've ever done this, which is not mm-hmm. actually early. It's 1 p.m. for me, but that feels like super early. So mm-hmm. it's I'm, just going to set the whole rest of your day on a bad foot. <laughs> I feel like after, I, like normally after we finish taping, I just go to bed. So like I mm-hmm. might go to bed at 2:30. Okay, sure. Today, yeah. Deadlines and why? Began. And why shouldn't you? Well, a lot of reasons, like <laughs> a whole bunch of reasons. But I'm not going to listen to those reasons. <laughs> There's no time because we're here with a wonderful guest. That's mm-hmm. true. It's Megan Fitzmartin. Hello, Megan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I think everyone should go to bed at 2 Yay! p.m., so I'm very supportive yeah. of this plan. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I thank you. I appreciate your support. It means a lot to me. <laughs> Unfortunately, you've missed that bedtime by a lot because it's by a lot, yeah. <laughs> late for you. A bit, the, yes. The world is crazy. Um, we were given a bit of information right before taping that caught us off guard, <laughs> if you don't mind us talking about it. Um, where are you, Megan? Uh, that's such a great question. I'm in London. Okay. Right. Where specifically in London would you be? <laughs> I, I'm on the Thames. Like, literally. Like, literally. Like, in a, in a boat on the Thames. In a boat. In a uh, boat. You said, you said I'm on a boat, and then you, like, moved so we could see behind yeah. you, and it was like, oh my god, that is a boat. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I, 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 I never, I never would have thought until you said it. The- this we is... come in through this bit on the top where no okay. one who's listening to it can see it, but it's a hatch, mm-hmm. and we come down as if descending upon the the men and children and uh, live in our land. That could be wrong. I don't think we've had any other guests that are on a, in a sea vehicle at, during the show. This is your mm-hmm. podcasting boat that you go to to podcast on? <laughs> truly, this is just the... as Yeah. Yeah, this is my podcasting boat. That's this is great. where I record all my podcasts. That's great. The boat's got good Wi-Fi. What can I Seriously. say? Good Wi-Fi, yeah. good sound. Yeah. Uh, how are the seas today? <laughs> Still calm, but you know, uh, ever vigilant. Say you're not you're not rocking about too much, which is which is great. I, or or I'm just used to it at this point, and now I just oh, I've got my sea legs, my tens legs. Sure. The sound is so good that it. I want to add some background water noise. <laughs> Just, yeah, we'll do just it to get the yeah um, the full ambiance. Yes, yes. Well, it's, very... well, it's a cement boat, so there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> you have to have the waves like going up against cement. It's a different sound entirely. All right, we're gonna have to do some foley work on this, Ethan. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Go out in the field. As much yeah. as as much as I like a boat, um, mm-hmm. I'm actually not even sure. Is that serious that it's a cement boat? Is that a real thing? Yes. So it's a cement hull. I've learned so much about boats in the last couple of years for many, many reasons. Most, you know, most of all living on one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's a cement hull. It's a very 
rare type of boat, I will say. It's very difficult hmm. to insure. Very difficult to insure. <laughs> um, okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, we're not going to get into why you bought a podcasting boat. We're just going <laughs> to... Just let um, it float. Just, just let it float. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you're having yeah. a lovely day on the Thames. I'm I'm a big fan of that river. It's one of the really nice ones. It's I mean, as long as you don't get too close to it, get into it, or go anywhere near it, it's a really lovely river. I mm. was very intrigued. Um, I have a family who lives in London, so I go there a lot. And I was very intrigued that they have the the thing where there's like, uh, when the tide gets lower and people go and look for mudlarking old... yes. yes yes and and i was like oh that's really cool and then i like watched some people do it and i was like oh that's really gross it's it's really it's really disgusting i just i just read a whole book about it because i'm uh trying to be a more re- well-rounded person with hobbies and things mm-hmm. uh and i thought well what about mudlarking and then i quickly realized the river is full of rat piss and mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> less of a less of a height i need a more hygienic hobby really is what i'm sort of okay. looking for now. Yeah. um but yeah the thames is really amazing because it is a, a tidal one of the few tidal rivers and so mm. that is why people are able to mudlark is because the waters flow in and out um mm. and there's just you there's stuff in there from all the way back to roman times it's yeah. insane yeah like i live i live on the hudson river mm. um which i'm sure there's uh, definitely 80 percent rat piss as you said <laughs> but um the you know it's it's interesting to me because like the difference between uh, american history and european history is such a funny thing because american history we always assume that it sort of starts with white people even though obviously right. it does not but like <laughs> that's sort of the history we discuss and so we as a like general culture tend to like reference things and be like this was built in 1804 and then you go to England and people are like my fucking house was built in the 1300s I went went to Oxford to visit and I everyone was like oh yeah so this college was built x y whatever I was like this is older than my country this is a this is a university that has existed for longer than my country has existed as a thing yeah Uh, it's a big thing in New York to be like, yeah, this is pre-war architecture. And I remember talking to a British friend once and they were like, which war are you referring yeah. to? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, not a, like a pretty recent one by your standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, enough about a tour of rivers and, and seas. Uh, I would start with... <laughs> what, is that not a good segue? Was that not rivers, No, I, I loved it. I think you should keep going. Um. Maybe we'll ask all. Maybe we'll start all our guests net from now on with some river questions, and then move mm-hmm. on from there. Favorite and river. That's, that's a new. Qui- that's a new quick quiz question. <laughs> it's a good question. It forces. Yeah. It's not one that you hear often. It forces you to think. What's the yeah. craziest thing you've found in a river? <laughs> yeah. Have you found rat piss from Roman times in a river? <laughs> Old rabbit. Um, but the concern is that obviously dead bodies would be like yeah. the number one answer yeah. wouldn't it yeah like it would be concerning if we asked that on a quick quiz and then somebody was like a dead body and then they just like kind of spaced out and we had to keep <laughs> the quick quiz going uh i'm i'm gonna tell yeah. my d- dead body in a river story now because oh no it's not it's not a it's not exactly a personal story but <laughs> oh, no. my my it just my... does stephen king's stand by me <laughs> how, how did it take us so many episodes to get to this well because it's not it's not it's not a because you don't ask anybody what they found in a river (laughs) this isn't me but my my lifelong 
one of my lifelong best friends, my childhood best friend. Like he grew up on my block and we, you know, we went on like family vacations together and he's still a very good friend of mine. Uh, his senior year in high school, he was doing a, uh, you could do like um, a, a go off campus and go do a project, work somewhere, for, intern somewhere for a few months. Mm. Um, and he interned at a place called the River Project, which is a like a Hudson River Conservancy, maybe East River Conservancy, one of the rivers in Manhattan. Uh, and his first day, they were like, we're going to take it easy on you. We're just going to take you out in a boat, show you around. And they're like, head down to the dock and, you know, we'll meet you there. He's literally 20 minutes into his his like internship. He goes down and there's a dead body floating against oh, the boat. And he was and he freaked out. And they were yes. like, they're like, yeah, that's that's going to happen. They're like, that's not an all the time thing. But happen. <laughs> and I like, love that they were less than phased. They were like, well, yeah, that, this is a thing. Yeah. And then they were just kind of like, I guess go home. Go home for the day. We're going to start again tomorrow. <laughs> and so like he came home and just like called me and was like, yeah, I found a dead body. <laughs> and I, yeah. um, pretty fun. Oh, uh, he's okay. He he, okay. he he doesn't really get phased by stuff. So he, all right, so all right, so the real challenge is now you need to segue into whatever you were going to talk yeah. about earlier. <laughs> Speaking of bloated corpses, let's talk about comic books. Uh-huh. Uh, our first question that we ask everyone is is sort of why comics? Why do you make comics? When did you fall in love with comics? What is it about comics for you that sort of gets you? going yeah so i got into comics at a fairly young age um i come from a very sheltered uh background very religious um thank you thank you i'm very proud um and my i I wasn't allowed to see like pg-13 movies we didn't have a tv until i was like 14 something along those lines and yet the only movie that was pg-13 that i was allowed to see was spider-man my dad was just like no i'm taking my my kid to see this spider-man movie and this i like iron man movie whatever like all of these movies that started coming out um x-men i was another one that i really remember that there was no there was no shame in that there was no like oh no obviously we will go and see this movie and it was a way to bond with my dad who i really love and connect with and so because of that, I started I started to get into it because it was truly like one of the only genre things that I could see that wasn't that didn't have like a Michael W. Smith backtrack or something along those lines, <laughs> uh, and got really into so and it was time with my dad that was also something that was really important. So why did your dad? Why was why were superhero movies the past? Do you know? He loved them like he grew up reading comics and didn't see any issue with it um and was like yeah no i mean this is fine this is what i grew up with and Mm. i want to share this with my kid and um to this day it's still something that's really special with me and my dad um he he's not this year because of health reasons but since i moved to la uh which i split time back and forth between london and la since i moved to la my dad comes out every year for my birthday, which is around the time that a Marvel movie comes out and we go and see uh, a Marvel movie together and it, um, or a superhero movie. Uh, It was really special. A couple years ago, he was able to come out and see uh, a DC animated movie that I had written um, 
around my birthday. So it it it's just something very special that my dad and I has always shared. And then I found... sorry, which one was it? Was it the Justice Society one? Yeah, it was uh, Justice sweet. Society World War Two. That's awesome. Um, and so it's something that my dad and I had always shared. And then when I found comics on my own and started to sort of discover things that wasn't just my dad giving to me, I found Fantastic Four, which was sort of my gateway into specifically streamlined superhero comics. And I loved it, not just because the adventures were great, but also because they were such a helpful way to understand big emotions. So I was dealing with depression a lot as a kid and my um, family was also dealing with a lot of emotions and things like that. I knew cognitively that the world wasn't ending, but it felt like the world was ending. Mm -hmm. So I could read comics and watch the world end and how people would rally and would fight back. And so all of these different comic books that I started to get really into were really helpful for my own emotions and, and to understand these big emotions that I was feeling and making them much more contextualized. And so uh, that I have sort of carried with me through all of my writing, especially into comics, is that it is something that I want to uh, provide other people the space to make big emotions that they feel like so big and so scary into these more manageable uh, fights like it's it's knights of the round table but with capes and how that is so important for so many people who are going through tough times this is maybe the only way that they understand how to process those emotions mm. yeah i think you know i think it's interesting the the sort of cultural legacy of like handing down mm. superheroes and stuff is such an interesting like we we talk a lot about comics as like oh you know it's it's modern folklore it's modern yeah. you know whatever you say but i think the thing that people don't really talk about is like this sort of generational impact which obviously yeah. the, those things really had like fables and folklore and stuff and there is this sort of generational touchstone for a lot of people not for everyone and it's yeah. it's very weird to me because like i grew up reading comics because i had a comic shop on my block and, yeah. and both both my parents were writers and so they just encouraged me to read stuff mm. but they never talked about reading comics and it wasn't until i was an adult and making comics that my dad was like oh yeah i read comics as a kid and it never <laughs> like i've been in comics by my entire life and it never come up and i was like well what did you read and he was like well you know superman and captain marvel and um captain marvel being shazam right. uh, you know the dc's captain marvel not Marvel's <laughs> captain marvel uh which which ended up being like a full day explanation to my dad about like copyright law. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, they left the copyright on Captain Marvel. As, but anyway, uh, but yeah, and it was like a really nice moment to have that. Mm. But I'm always sort of jealous of the people who are like, yeah, mm. I, I got it directly from my parents, and I I didn't get that directly yeah. from my parents. Um, so it's always a nice thing, and for you to still be able to share it with your dad, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like it skipped a generation with my family because my parents like had no idea that comics like existed at all. But like uh -huh. that was something I was able to bond with my grandpa about oh, was like wow. that he he worked in a like a grocery store. And so like they had a spinner rack and, yep. he, and like him working there, he would read everything that was there. And like That's and so, cool. so like 
that was like the only person in my family and also not having anybody at school that was into it. It was like, yeah. it was just a specific thing with my grandfather being able to bond with him about that. And so that was very, yeah, that's really special. What did, what did your grandfather read? He, I mean, he Spawn. was. Say Spawn. Sorry? Spawn? Spawn? Yeah, he was yeah. a big Spawn guy. <laughs> no, he was a big like Marvel loyalist. He, his favorite was Fantastic Four as well. Yeah. Um, so I would have gotten along yeah, well with him. <laughs> that's super cool, which is weird because now my dad has like, my dad has like a weird DC loyalty. Like he's just, he's, if you bring up comic books ever, it's like, yeah, but DC though. And it's like, uh, no, it's okay. his rebellion. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so cool. I was so on my own. I had, no oh. I had to just I had to just find it all myself, baby. In a in a lot of ways, I feel like you still are on your own though, Griffin. Like you're a real yeah. loner. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. You don't have it's fine. We'll move I on. live with five other people, but yeah, yeah. Oh but, no. Do they talk to you? I've never gotten the impression they speak with you. <laughs> I'm always just like I'm podcasting, but you could come in. You can talk. This is our time where you get to talk to people, and we're happy to be those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to us. My screen time friends. <laughs> um, the uh, I guess I guess the question that I'm curious about is: you have in comics, there's sort of this funny idea that a lot of people have that like I don't love but it exists and it's pervasive of like I'm going to make comics for a long time and then I'm going to graduate to film Mm. TV whatever and so I'm fascinated all the time when people go the other way Mm. (laughs) when there's people who are like I work in TV but I'm going to make comics it's always it's always interesting to me like how how did you obviously you wanted to be a writer it's not really something that happens accidentally (laughs) Um, did you want to be a comics writer? Did you want to write for TV? Like, how did you get into writing on work on Supernatural and that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, this is fairly well documented, but I went to school actually to be a youth pastor. That was really, yeah, that was, that was sort of the path that I expected my life to take. And I, um, I wanted to be a youth pastor because I wanted to tell people that they are loved. That was my whole point and purpose. And I knew that if I went to, excuse me, if I went to school to be a teacher, um, I would be the worst teacher because half the time I would be like, guys, you don't have to really go to school. Like, it's fine. (laughs) It's like all social learning. Like, don't worry. Like if you got an F that's fine. Like I would be the worst teacher. Uh So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. And while I was there, I, I ended up accidentally getting um, a communications minor because I just took so many writing courses right. and I, I fell in love with writing. Um, and originally I actually took my first writing class. It was a, for writing radio and TV because mm-hmm. I wanted to write audio. Um, I grew up listening to an audio drama that is a Christian audio drama, but was is one of the few good things that's come out of Christian media. It's that and Veggie Tales. Those are the only two good things. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, I really want to learn how to do this because it was really important in the same way comics were important. These audio stories were also really important and uh, helped me understand how to be a human being, how to love others, how to engage life, like figure out how to be a human. Um so if I wanted to be a youth pastor, I sh- that would be something that I'd have to do. And it was no radio and all TV and realized that I fell in love with that as well. All right. And the 
then I, I changed my entire life, moved to LA. And the goal, the goal was TV because frankly, that's what makes money. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to be able to live and survive. But with the caveat that I always wanted to tell stories in various forms of media mm-hmm. and comics was one of them. Animation was one of them. Audio was one of them. And I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone that had written comics. I didn't know anybody that had written television or animation or audio. I was sort of going in blind and reading as much as I could and listening to as many people as possible and Googling everyone online and being like, how did you, how did you do this Mm. thing that you got there? And um, really focused on just trying to make my own stuff. Like I, uh, I had gotten a job at Supernatural as an assistant. And even then I was like, okay, I want to take classes. I'm going to take a comic book writing class because I know that I want to do this and I don't know how to do it. And a year later is when I got the opportunity to be in a meeting for DC and, and mm. uh, DC Comics and, and talk about potentially writing for them. And so a lot of it has just been my own sort of latent tenacity that I will tell stories to tell people that they are low in hell or high water. And um, it it is in every medium possible because I find all mediums to be incredibly important. Mm. I dislike that idea that you're talking about, which is like you have to graduate to be a TV writer. You have to graduate to be like all of these different types of writing is lowbrow or low form. That's bullshit. Like that is absolutely wrong because all forms are important. Now I am pragmatic in that I need to eat. And (laughs) so therefore I'm going to uh, try and also get the jobs that are going to pay me more money so that I can continue to do other jobs that maybe won't pay me as much money, but will still be in the mediums that I love. Yeah. I I have a lot of supernatural questions, but I also really wanted to ask you, because I, I I was looking into like, because you working on the scripted podcast kind of stuff. and, And I find that really fascinating, like, because Griffin and I have done a bit of like narrative audio stuff, but it's like super silly. And, and, and I, that there's just more and more of that lately. Like Marvel does a lot of it and there's like the Batman one and stuff. And I've always found that really fascinating. What, what is it about that medium to you? That's super rewarding. And are you into where that space is growing right now? Are you enjoying where that's going? I, I'm really excited because I think that the space has so much more to grow in. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I've been in the audio space for it for a number of years. Um, mm. And it's, it, it feels like it's sort of at this wall and waiting for, um, waiting for the floodgates to open on it, to be, okay. to be honest. Um, I love it because it's a very intimate medium. It's, uh, it's rewarding because mm. it focuses very much on the emotions, which is something that I really focus on a lot in my writing. Mm. Um, and so it engages with people on a much more intimate level in the same way that like people that listen to nonfiction podcasts, like your podcast will still engage and feel like they're listening to or hanging out with friends. Like it's not, it's not just limited to uh, fiction podcasts. It's the same thing. There is a level of intimacy because it's like you are listening. There's something about the closeness of it that I find really fascinating. And so I love that. I also love, I have a, a whole, uh soapbox that I won't go into here because I'm sure it's very long but about the importance of younger audience listening to audio because it Mm. engages imagination in a way that Mm. television doesn't always or like screen time doesn't always and so Mm. 
you are able to lead someone down the road a little bit easier. So like I, I always say, imagine a tree. All of us will imagine a different type of tree, but it will still be a tree um, that creates these uh, imagination foundations so that then you can start understanding bigger concepts like friendship or love or faith or things mm. like that that seem very abstract but because you've worked on these imagination skills you can make them a little bit more concrete mm. that's interesting um the just to piggyback on what ethan was saying like you you you've written a lot of uh, you've written for some podcasts and worked on some narrative podcasts Obviously, it's still early, but do you feel like this is the most professional podcast you've ever been involved with? Being That's a on good the, question. On I mean, as soon as we talked about dead bodies, I was like, "This is yeah. this is it. This is yeah. real." Well, we yeah. do a lot of scripting here. Yeah, this uh, is all... a lot of this is pre-planned out. <laughs> yeah, we really we really do the work. It, I yeah. was going to ask about that like twenty-page script you guys sent me. I was like, <laughs> Did you want me to be off book for the whole thing? No. <laughs> You know, we do, we like to open it up at the end for a little, like give you five minutes to really do whatever you want. But mostly, yeah, we're going to stick. Some different, you know, different guests need different levels of control. I mean, Declan Shalvey's whole episodes were scripted. We did not let him speak. You can't let that guy. I mean, most, you've met a lot of people in comics. You really don't want to actually hear what they think. (laughs) A script is a good idea. I make fun, but goodness gracious, that's that's helpful. Um, and we'll let you know. We'll reach out if there are any pickups we have to do. Okay. You know, once we get into... yeah, we're probably going to dub all four of us in after with professional actors. It's right. Yeah. It, so. Yeah. No, I love I love me some ADR. Sounds yeah. real. Sounds just, good. Yeah. Sounds, just feed yeah. everyone's files to that AI voice generator that Disney uses for Darth Vader. And oh, boy. Just before know. this, I saw that video where some that somebody used the AI thing to make Joe Rogan interview SpongeBob, and it just sounded completely real. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God. The the world's the over world's done. It's done. the world's over but that's pretty good but yes. also are you sure that joe rogan didn't actually interview sponge i'm not actually i'm not <laughs> um the no but going back to the the, the supernatural thing mm. I, maybe i'm wrong i should have done research on this i feel like supernatural is a show that had a lot of people around it who were excited about comics Mm. Is that is that a thing? I know other comic book creators who worked on Supernatural, and so yeah, me, we've definitely had yeah. comic book creators within it. Um, yeah. A mixed bag. I wouldn't necessarily say that our fans on Supernatural were they were definitely comic literate. I will say that. I think yeah. that that's probably mm. it, it. Wasn't that I noticed that there was a higher comic fandom within it. Mm. Um, but, it, but 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 on the production side. Oh, on the there, production side. Oh, yeah. yeah. Loads of loads of comic book fans. Like we had tons of writers who would be who also did comic book wrote yeah. for comics, and um, even within. Uh, I remember one episode that we did where both the writer got really excited about comics and adding comics into it, and the production team also got excited about adding mm-hmm. comics into it. So it was it was just a whole nerd fest. It was great. Yeah, I I I sat with I'm I'm buddies with Robbie Thompson who worked on Supernatural, yeah. and he's he's great. And I didn't know that he worked on the show. Like early <laughs> on in meeting him, I didn't know he worked on it. And I went and sat at his table at the convention, and yes. it was like a totally different. He was at a totally different convention. Like we both yes. were Marvel writers, oh, and wow. it was like people mm. would come up and just be like, 
Mr. Thompson. And I was like, why are they calling? Why are they saying Robbie? But they were also like, can I hug you? And I was like, yes. why do these people want to hug you? And like, it was so different that after 20 minutes, I was like, I'm sorry, what's going on here? <laughs> he was like, We did not have the same convention experience. Yeah, yeah no, no. Like, it, but also, like, people weren't getting things signed. They wanted to talk yeah. to him and have this moment. And I was like, oh, it's such a different thing. It, um, and so they're very, like, yeah. they're very involved within conventions. So, like, there's loads of supernatural conventions. They're very big. Mm. The fandom still goes to many of them. Even the show's been off the air. Um so conventions is a language that I think supernatural fans do speak, but yeah, they're very different than su- than um, comic books, right? Like because yeah. it's it's so much more about in, in comic book conventions, it's about signing it, it's about mm-hmm. talking a little bit, but like uh, I want to sign this thing, thank you for it, go yeah. on. And with supernatural conventions, a lot of the times, like fans will go and talk to actors and talk to mm-hmm. the the creators yeah. that are there and whatnot, and just have conversations with them because it 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 feels like a weird a weird little small family even though it's Mm -hmm. loads there's loads of them but yeah it was really nice because it was like yeah i'm i i get sort of burned out on the like transactional nature of interacting with fans sometimes Mm -hmm. that like i'm always happy when people buy the books but i would uh, you know like and obviously some people are you know don't have an interest in talking to me don't care or whatever and that's fine and like i'm happy to write my name on anything you want whatever but but it does sometimes feel like a very trend there's just a transaction yeah absolutely and this was a very different experience of like an experiential like i want to have a conversation i want to shake this person's hand yeah and it was really nice and i was like oh that's really nice and then i was also like well they don't actually make a tangible thing and we make a tangible thing. <laughs> that's, so that's true too. Probably part of it. Unless you have the DVD box sets, Matthew mm-hmm. Rosen. That's true. Or the there were supernatural comics. There were, there were supernatural comics, yeah. Get the merch. Um, I was a big supernatural fan. Were you? I was. When did you stop I, watching? That's the question, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> 12, 13? Oh, you lasted fairly long. You have mm-hmm. only two more seasons to go, I my know. man. <laughs> I know. I still have, and I I don't know what happens in the finale. I can't believe I've been able to avoid it, and I still don't really know how it ends, so maybe it's time <laughs> I, to... I mean, if, if you were on season seven, then I would say, okay, I understand you stopped. You were so close to the end. Yeah, that's insane. You have to... Well, it didn't, it felt like, you know... I didn't know it was the... It was one of those things where it's like, is it gonna end? We're on that's fucking fair. 12 now? I don't know. Yeah. And then, yeah, a couple of years later, like, all right, it's done. I was like, all right, we're, that, we're makes sense. that makes sense. <laughs> Something that I've always been curious about, and, and this is like the perfect opportunity to ask it, is like with, with like Supernatural and with like the CW particularly, especially like once the Arrowverse and all of that stuff started, it was mm. like, oh, it's such a perfect fit because I the way that the CW like pumped out shows like the way their production works yeah it feels like the closest movies and tv get to comics mm. where it's where mm. it's just such a rapid thing and and, yeah. and the way they they have like these things that tie together and stuff did, did you feel any similarity between working in that world and working in comics absolutely i mean that the the production schedule that you're sort of talking about is old tv like there right. i mean i'm we're going uh, my partner and i are going back and watching mash episodes because right. i've never seen it before and like 24 25 episodes a season <laughs> like that is very much an old school hollywood yeah. thing um and in part that's one of the reasons why 
we were able to do it and, and do it, I think, so successfully is because we had Bob Singer, who had been uh, who's been in television for a billion years. He's like so, so intelligent when it comes to getting getting the filming out, getting stuff done. And yeah, there's a there's a weird similarity between that and comics. And I think, mm-hmm. honestly, one of the reasons why I love working in various different mediums is because there's so much that you can learn from working in each one that mm-hmm. you never know what feeds into another one. So like quick production schedule, quick turnaround schedules are what television, what my experience in television has always been. And so within comics, it's it it always makes sense to me when it's like, a, oh yeah, we need this like today or tomorrow. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense because that is sort of what I have grown up with um, within my own process in television. So there's mm-hmm. there's levels to it that made a lot of sense to me and, and I think are, are fairly consistent. Yeah, right, totally. I, I, I remember as a kid growing up, my dad worked on network television and, and mm-hmm. was a writer and he used to, I'd go to the set and, you know, spend a lot of time on the set and he sometimes would be on set and writing yeah like the next like, yeah. be like we need to change this this needs to change this needs to and like to me it, it, that i grew up with that feeling normal yeah it was like my dad and i was a little kid and then i like hit comics and was doing that and was like oh i was sort of trained at a very young age yep. to think that these these deadlines and this demand was a normal thing but it's really <laughs> creatively not great but. No, I mean, definitely not ideal. And I think when you, but I also think when you have that training, you learn how to be on top of it a lot faster, Sure. Um, which I'm very grateful for. And also you learn what things you can push back on yeah. of like, no, I don't, I, you don't need this right now. Like yeah. I, I know what the priority element is in this and I can, I can, there's certain things I can push back on because mm-hmm. I know what, how that production schedule works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, I have a buddy who's a, a writer and he was calling me in crisis last week because he was like, I'm going on vacation for a week and they don't seem to be acknowledging that. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and he's like, and I was like, it's fine. You'll be yeah. fine. I was like, tell me where you are on processes. Like, you'll be fine. Like, you'll yeah. get a couple urgent emails, but like, if you're not going to print on Monday yeah. or fr- or Wednesday, mm-hmm. you're okay. Like, things can be fixed yeah um but yeah no it's such a it's such a funny like both are such weird gun to the head type creative processes that i think don't prepare you for a lot of other things but are are very good at at (laughs) certain skills you learn how to be a producer of a comic i think very quickly in that way which is sort of a weird way of looking at it but what you have to be i mean that's a good segue when you made the transition to start doing stuff at DC, like how, how was that process? Like you said you met with DC cause you've been working on stuff. Like what happened there? How did you get in there and how was the transition? Yeah. Uh, weird, weird only because, <laughs> uh, we came in, there's a, there's a, a now infamous meeting that I was a part of, which was the, the future state meeting with Dan Didio. It was, <laughs> The first time I had met anyone in DC Comics, anybody in editorial, I we had gotten the brief from uh, I had I had done the Justice Society movie with Jeremy already, and um, our the folks that we'd worked with in animation were like, "Hey, DC is looking for some new writers. If you guys are interested, 
Jeremy and I, at this point, were both writers on Supernatural. Our offices were next to each other, and we were dying. We were dead. We were on the floor. We were like, of course. Um, so we both were very excited. We went to this meeting. And then it I've never seen a man just sort of unravel <laughs> over the end of his career happening in front of him. Huh. And it 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 was such a strange <laughs> meeting. Um and <laughs> so that was my introduction to working for DC Comics was Dan okay. Didio is about to leave, but none of us knew that. And it was just like he I remember he sat down and got really emotional about comics and we were like <laughs> This is really nice, but why? I've just met you. <laughs> um, yeah, so Jeremy and I walked away from that meeting, and we were both sort of like, "What happened? We- <laughs> what happened there? Yeah. I think we're gonna do something cool, but who knows?" <laughs> and you ended up doing future state stuff out of that i did i did i yeah. did um future state robin eternal i did two issues yeah. um with the amazing artist eddie barrows who was amazing. the first time i worked with um i had worked previously on my own comic which i'm really grateful for because it gave me a lot of my own um not like learning how to give notes learning how to look at art mm-hmm. um with an artist who has now been doing a lot of stuff for DC. So I'm really proud of her. Her name is Yasmin and she's absolutely mm-hmm. killing it right now. Um, and so Eddie was the first person that I was working with who like was giving me DC art. And I was yeah. like, this is not so, but so like, <laughs> uh, it, I was, I was very excitable. Um, I was working with Paul Kaminsky who was lovely and, mm-hmm. and, um, so so great and we yeah it it was such a a crazy time because it was still sort of like trying to figure out what was going on um but I was so grateful for it and I had the best time and had the best time working with Tim who's a a character that I love and adore so yeah that's what it's funny because I um I've been at Marvel I did an issue at DC Mm. in, in like 2015 or 2016 like early in my career i did a one issue of black canary um that was going to be like an inventory issue that they yeah they take the the dc i feel like they don't do it as much or maybe i just don't hear about it as much but they used to just have people make issues and then just put them in a drawer in case somebody gets the flu or gets hit by a car they can be like actually this issue is going to be you know like we're going to take a little interlude and have this and yeah. I was contacted to do this issue of Black Canary, and they were like, it's an inventory issue. And then literally the next day, they were like, um, if you can get us a script in two days, it'll be the next issue. And I was like, oh, it's not inventory. And they were like, no, it's the next issue if you can get it. And so, <laughs> you know, that thing that we needed an inventory for, it just turns out that it's tomorrow. So, yeah, if you could just... yeah my, my two month deadline became 48 hours. And I was Golly. Like, okay, let's go. But then I didn't do anything <laughs> for, for years. Yeah. And I came back to Future State and it was like, that was my first thing back was like, I, I started talking to Ben Abernathy and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I might want to come over and Ben's amazing. And yeah. he was like, well, we're doing this thing, Future State, and it's a lot of new people and it's very exciting. And um, and it was really fun because it felt like this, like this really amazing creative energy. And it wasn't yeah. until later that I found out that it was like, well, it's coming from a lot of different places because yeah. some of it was Dan's <laughs> stuff and some of it was like, 
people Dan brought in left and some of it was like Ben stuff and they were like well some of this is stuff that's going to go forward and yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. forward. and like at the t you know and it you know like there was no reason to tell me any of that that would not have been helpful information sure sure but it was the kind of thing that at the time I was like well this is so exciting this is like the future of DC right here like here we all are and oh then, absolutely like, I was still real I'm still really excited about that brief like I thought that that was such a really cool and it yeah. really was that was sort of semi-manic but at the same time it was very like exciting and and felt new which was yeah. which was delightful yeah I, I think the idea of future state was great and i yeah. i really loved and a lot of the books and yeah. yeah yeah it was fun it was the kind of thing that like like a lot of cool ideas in comics i was like i would like to have stuck with this for a yeah. year <laughs> instead of two months but you know like i guess that we have to get back to status quos and things like yeah. that And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Megan Fitzmartin. Make sure to check out Tim Drake Robin, as well as everything else Megan is working on, by giving her a follow on Twitter at MegFitz89. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at Ashcan Press on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.